What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K, and with me on the mic, as always, is your co-host, Christopher Pennant. Chris, I don't know if you can tell in my voice right now, but I'm still coasting off the high of the WNBA <laughs> draft last night, man. Man, we're back. on that con- those contact fumes. I see you. <laughs> I Respect. mean, did I get four hours of sleep and had too much coffee this morning? Yes, I did. But guess what? We're back, Chris. We're back. The WNBA season's back. I don't care if training camp hasn't started. James Wade told me yesterday that the team hasn't even done all of its physicals yet. I don't care about any of that. We're back. It felt like the community was finally just together again when all these you know, names were announced and people were getting hyped, even in the second and third round of the WNBA draft. It just It's good to be back here, man. It's good to be back here. Most definitely. I think we saw a lot of good players go. This is the... We're really looking forward to this year's draft like we had last night and then the next year's draft and then possibly the year after that. This feels like the start of a three-year arc um, that's entering the WNBA. It's not a, I don't want to call it a next generation of pro- professional women's basketball players, but it, it's got that feel with the eyes that have been on college ranks and even some of the overseas players for the last four years, watching them come up, grow, mature, and add to their game. And so now we're seeing that first wave come to fruition and enter the league. And then, you know, next year we'll be talking about the next wave. And then next year we'll be talking about the next wave. But this is that first, I think, that first generation that was getting airtime on Instagram and Vine and YouTube when we, people were talking about them in high school. Uh, Bria Beal, three-time Illinois Miss Basketball at Rock Island. Letitia Amahir, you know, dunking when she was 15 years old. And now these players are in the league. So that's really cool to see. And um, now it just stands to reason how they'll perform in their first year in the WNBA ranks and beyond. It's so crazy because it's not even just how they, like how the draft was presented. It's also just like how the players came in with these fire outfits, man. Like they, it, it was just such a grand event. And I remember last night, Asia Wilson tweeted out like, wow, these outfits have really, like they've really stepped up since we were doing it. Like I wore earrings from Jewel, you know? Like that's where you see this NIL money coming in and people Ooh. really understanding how to profit off of women's basketball because they realize the potential of it. And man, it was definitely a different energy last night. But before we get into it all, we just want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to what this show, wherever you get your podcasts. It tr- helps us out tremendously. And if you want to contact us, you can always do so by reaching out to our mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media in our league tree, which is in the episode description. So, Chris, let's start off with the draft in general before we get to the Sky's two picks here. Was there one pick in specific that you were really excited about that, or that stood out to you when the draft was going down? I was going to say Lou Lopez to initial, but Maddie Segris going number three um, was a bit of a surprise. It's on, And then the Stephanie Soares pick after that, that, you know, Washington picked her and then traded her for two draft choices uh, to Dallas. It's just Dallas had, yeah, <laughs> Dallas had those three picks in a row. And I think the Maddie Seagrass, I don't necessarily think it was too high, but I'm, I'm just wondering how she's going to perform and mix in with that group. Um, Ace Faces, Candace Faces was at, the, was at Little Joe's last night. And we were talking about that pick after it went through. And she said, the only true post they have on the team is Tierra McCowan right now, unless I'm, you know, unless I'm incorrect there. And I think the issue with Maddie's pick is not anything to do with her necessarily. It's how is she going to coalesce with Arike? That's the question for Dallas. How are their picks going to coalesce with Arike Gumbawale, who is a ball-dominant perimeter player? 
And Maddie Seagrass can play the can play the post, but she's not a back to the basket necessarily type of player. And she's somebody who works has worked well with the ball in her hands. She wasn't the sole focal point of Villanova's offense, but she was t- option A one and two. So it's going to be a bit of a reset, I think, for her coming into Dallas. And then the Soros pick only bugs me because as much of a good player she is when she's healthy, she's coming off of her second ACL injury. She had, yes. she had surgery to repair partial tears in her ACL and MCL before transferring to Iowa State from the Masters University and then you know, had that ACL injury this past year that knocked her out for the rest of her season. And they came through. She's probably not going to play this year. So Dallas having you know, being able to stash her, then that does put a big next to McCowan. But I think you're, you have the chance to go after a player who could help you this year and didn't. And that's kind of what is a little off for me. It, it feels like we're back to that what is Dallas doing meme that I really hate. And I'm still just wondering what is Dallas doing? This is why I like that pick. Uh, this was the draft. I think I said it in, on the show previously. I know I've written about it, but this was the draft to take risks. And you had, to me, there were two prime prospects at the top. Like the idea that we were going to think about drafting Diamond Miller with the third pick instead of the second one, to me, was crazy. I'll listen to anybody's argument about anything when it comes to sports. That was one to me where the athleticism and the upside of Diamond Miller was so obvious. Everyone else outside of it, the question marks, I think, are definitely real. And with Maddie Seacrest, I guess the reason why I like this for Dallas is that they lost Alicia Gray and Marina Mabry, Kayla Thornton. You lost a lot of shooting. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what Maddie Seacrest did last season, she shot 40.6% on catch-and-shoot opportunities, 60.7% at the rim, 43.4% off the screens and 46.7% on spot ups. I think that is the type of player you want to put into an offense that had with Enrique Gumbawale and a team that did just lose a ton of offense this offseason. And the thing about Maddie Segrist that a lot of people are puzzled about too is how is she going to adjust to the speed of the game? I think some of that is going to be alleviated. Those questions are going to be alleviated to a certain degree when you have two big posts in Natasha Howard and Tierra McCowan in the back to be able to clean up some of her mistakes. And also Satu Sabali. I mean, let's not forget about her. I know she's been injured a lot, but she's still a part of that Dallas core. To me, when you're able to add someone like Maddie Segrist, and you, I mean, who knows what, if Washington would have taken her potentially with that next pick. It's like, I'd rather jump up and get her quote-unquote, too high, which, honestly, I don't think it's too high. I think it makes a lot of sense for Dallas this season, and you can kind of see what she's going to be able to do at the next level. I do agree with you, though, with the the Stephanie Suarez pick. Man, that second ACL injury on top of she's not going to play this season, and you traded away a 2025 first-round pick? Dude, you just don't trade those right now. (laughs) Are we seeing all these names? pile up in that draft class that's coming up. You don't just throw away a pick like that, even for someone at 6'6", who can stretch the floor a little bit for you. It's not like the track record with Stephanie Suarez is so immaculate where I'd feel good about giving up a 2025 first-round pick. (laughs) I hate to talk about an incoming player as... Yeah. I'm not going to... It's not injury-prone. I think when you're six foot six and you play the sport, you're just susceptible to those kind of injuries. It's injury history that worries me in terms for, for her in Dallas. If she comes back, she's she's not gonna have the same type of mobility and athleticism that we saw from her at any point in college. That's just the nature of the game. I don't think we've seen, save from maybe Russell Westbrook, come back from an injury like that with the same level of athleticism or something approaching it. And I, he didn't tear his ACL. So that's the real, that's the real trouble for me with Dallas. I think the Lou Lopez and Eshel pick is, is a solid one. You replace some of that shooting, even though she was such a lightning rod unfairly 
between, I think, UConn and South Carolina fans or just UConn fans and any other fans of college basketball. But uh, again, I think that's another one where it's, you have to figure out what her role is going to be because these are three players that you drafted within the top five. So you can't make the same mistake as you did with Charlotte Collier. You have to find playing time for them. Again, what is Dallas doing? Because you have these players on your roster who have a lot of potential, Allier, Awat Queer, and now these three draftees. How do you find a good spot for them? This is the question facing a lot of teams in the W when you have 12 teams and only so many roster spots. But Dallas had, they've been knocking on the doorstep of the playoffs of like a deep playoff run for the last couple of seasons. And now Indiana and Atlanta, I think passed them by just on the strength of what they did last night. Oh, interesting. Dallas has to pick it up. They absolutely have to pick it up and you have to make some tough decisions, but you have to make very, you have to be very decisive. I tell my roller derby team, it's like being in band. If you play a wrong note, play it loud. Don't go halfway. (laughs) Be decisive if you're going to be, if it doesn't matter if you're wrong, be big about it. And um, we haven't talked about Abby Myers yet, I know, but <laughs> you have, now you have four players in coming. Probably two and, of those players are going to get cut. You know, you, you just imagine. Oh, so, it has to be, man. I mean, let's just go down the list of who Dallas drafted last night. They drafted Maddie Seagrass, Stephanie Suarez, Lou, Abby Myers, Ashley Jones, and Paige Robinson. Ashley Jones. (laughs) Ashley Jones, exactly. And we look at Dallas's roster. I just pulled it up. The people that are definitely going to be on the roster for next season. Arike Gumbawale, Natasha Howard, Tierra McCowan, Diamond Shields, and Satu Sabli. That's five people. There are six spots left. And we're not even halfway down the roster here. Crystal Dangerfield, I believe, is going to make this roster they need ball handling, and I'd be shocked if she didn't make it. I think Veronica Burton, from a defensive standpoint, yeah, they need that. Latricia Cham- Trammell is not going to give up on a player like Veronica Burton um, if she has a slow camp. I do think that she's going to be on that list. Um, and then a walk, queer. I mean, that's eight players right there. And he just drafted Stephanie Suarez, Maddie Seagrest. Again, we just went through all of them. It wouldn't shock me if. Abby Myers is not going to make make it out of camp or Ashley Jones. Like these are tough decisions that you have to make as an organization. And it's tough though. Like I do think they gave themselves a lot of breathing room in terms of like, okay, we need shooting around all of this post play that we're going to have this upcoming season. I think this is going to be a really slow team. Um, if you watch Tierra McCowan last season, it's just had a hard time and transitioned and that's, Look, she gives you a lot in the half court. It's just hard playing in transition when you're that big. They they needed shooting. They obviously addressed it with Maddie Seagrass, but I'm looking at Lou Lopez, Seneschal, Abby Myers, and Ashley Jones. I'm wondering who's going to make it out of that crop because they need shooting, and players like Charlie Collier are just not going to stop them from being able to keep that on the roster. Like, I'm sorry. I I don't think the pedigree of being a number one overall pick matters in these situations anymore. So not, it hasn't, it really hasn't. Um, It can't, that doesn't mean anything. It's like, it just doesn't mean anything. Like when we look, especially look at that draft specifically, they had to choose between Charlie Collier or walk queer. I mean, come on now. I mean, a walk queer has shown potential in the WNBA and was a really interesting prospect that I think was, at the top of everybody, most boards, if I had to guess, where Charlie Collier, the second half of her season in Texas, just wasn't as eye-opening. She had a really strong start, but again, this is when the narratives really take over, and we got to be careful about how we evaluate all these players, you know? Like, I think Haley Jones was a really interesting person when we talked about this, where people were like, well, Haley Jones has to be the number two pick heading into the year. And then it turned into, oh, well, Haley Jones doesn't have a jump shot, so she can't play in the WNBA. And it's like, there's got, I mean, look, I'm glad that we're starting to have a uh, a vision with this, something that shows up on our radar. It's like, we have to change courses of how we feel, but like, we don't have to be extreme about all these things. Like, I do think Atlanta 
was the best position for Haley Jones to go in. Number six for someone that you probably like 85% of her game, and there's just that 15% that's a little glaring, but goes into a position with Atlanta and is able to get the best of both worlds of being on what is going to be a competitive team, but also they're going to have playing time to develop as a prospect. Like when you look at the top of the draft, like there's just not going to be a lot of players that are going to be granted that same type of, uh, they're just going to have that room to grow. And that's why I couldn't see Haley Jones on the, the Dallas wings, you know, like I think that would have been a really tough position for her to be in. So, yeah. It's, I think Atlanta has to make some roster decisions too, like we talked about, because they have the veteran guaranteed contracts already on their books. And then you have Ari McDonald and AD, um, who you have to make decisions on uh, by the end of training camp. But with Haley Jones, she has time to develop and, you know, either they they can work her into the lineup as the season goes on. Uh, when you have Ryan Howard, who played so well last year and is poised to make an even bigger step, and then Letitia Amahir coming in, who can learn from those veterans, Cheyenne Parker, Monique Billings, and bring her skill set to that team, that's why I said what I said a moment ago, that I believe Atlanta made a really big step and really smart draft choices last night and have passed those kind of lower-tier contenders. Like, they knocked on the door of the playoffs last year and they have the potential to really really ruin some people's day going into this season it's still a young team uh but they have i think actually you know i'm going to take a step back i think that they have a good mix of youth and veterans yeah right now on their roster and that can take them very far with you know very limited still expectations I guess I just, when I look at Atlanta's roster, I just don't know what the most organic starting five for them is. That's the part where I do think next year in 2025 are going to be the big years for them because they have a lot of good pieces. I'm just curious about how they're all going to fit together with, again, it's really like, think about like the two-way talent that, that the dream had with Cheyenne Parker, Alicia Gray, and Ryan Howard. That is a phenomenal start to the roster. Obviously I just think about the rest of it where I'm just curious about what it's going to look like. And if I had to guess, Daniel Robinson's going to start for them, but I think that fifth spot is actually up in the air right now, whether you want to slide Cheyenne over to be a small ball center, which again, I think that'll probably matter more in the playoffs than it would during the regular season when you can just throw, just kind of figure out what your starting five is going to be on the fly a little bit more an experiment, but I see signings like Monique Billings and Nia Coffey on top of bringing in someone like Daniel Robinson is more of a bridge than it is to someone like a team that's going to contend this year, even though they, all these, like all of Atlanta should be excited about what they're going to watch this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious where also doesn't keep it in the thinking about the draft, about where this kind of leaves Nas Hillman, who at the second half of last year started to show a glimpse of being like, oh, you could be a, a rotation player in this league despite not having a jumper. And even at the Athletes Unlimited, she was someone that kind of started to display that a little bit more. So Atlanta, to me, I don't think they even know potentially what their starting five could be, you know, after the draft. And that's why, like, that, that is the perfect situation for a player like Kaylee Jones to come into, like, find that jump shot again. Cause we've seen her make them like we saw her do it at the biggest stage possible in the NCAA tournament only a couple of years ago. It's just when you go like three for 32 from beyond the arc in the season and you see her last game and how Ole Miss was just really able to, I mean, credit to them for being able to take out the entire offense. But when you are supposedly the second best player on your team and she was, you kind of wanted to see her step up a little bit more offensively and, to me, I think you can kind of now leave all of that in the past more when you go into a situation with Atlanta. So I was honestly, I was glad she ended up there for her own, like for her sake, like just being able to develop and be on a competitive team because that just seemed like the best situation for her. Um, were there any other picks that you liked or didn't like in the draft? 
Um, I was surprised that Bria Beal feel, um, fell as far as she did. I think it's it's tough for a player who has gotten a reputation as a specialist uh, to go higher. But for all of the talk last night that we'll get into later, I think that she has the potential to be, you know, a 10 points score in the, in the WNBA. Not right off the bat necessarily, but for sure. I have, Somehow, some way, Minnesota got these picks and got like really good ones, you know. And it, <laughs> I think the only thing that they deviated from historically is they got a player. They got they they picked the best available player in Diamond Miller, but the only difference was that she's not a UConn player. You know, she still got she still ended up going to Minnesota. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I liked pretty much everything that they got. Uh, everything, everybody that they got in the draft. The Ashley Jones pick wasn't surprising that she fell to where she did it's just so many players stock changed over the course of a season like we talk about websites and you know mock drafters it's getting a lot better uh and then um you know odds makers not being able to properly categorize and predict these um incoming professionals but so many players' stock just, like, shifted as the course of the season went on. Like, Diamond Miller was probably um, a late first-rounder at the beginning of the season or, or just after last year's tournament, and then she shot all the way up to number two. Um, Haley Jones, we talked about, went down. I think there was a point in time where, you know, she was in that, win- that window. Um, and then Ashley Jones was talked about as somebody, when this guy still had that number five pick, as somebody that they could possibly choose. And then she went all the way into the second round. So I think that was really the surprise for me outside of the Bria Beal pick because, you know, not necessarily that they could have used another guard, but somebody with at least ties to Illinois, as far away as Rock Island is from Chicago, relatively, that I saw a lot of people who were, who were bugged about that. But I think we have put to bed any question about, you know, James Wade's importance that he places on the draft especially when he feels like his team has a chance to contend so i think those were the only surprise picks for me i totally get that i think jordan hurston falling to seattle was really interesting and Mm. i wouldn't say it was necessarily shocking because again like you just said we're still not at a place where all the mock drafts are going to be perfect and or really give us like the entirety of the idea of what is going on in a front office's mind you know like I do think that on the NBA side there's just so many people that have been plugged in for decades that they have all these sources built up where I think with the WNBA being a newer shinier product in terms of media coverage that you know that's going to be a little bit more I guess, I don't know if important's the right word, but in terms of just the value of having some idea of what teams are going to do out there kind of means something. And that's why, like, nothing really surprises me anymore with, with these picks, you know? Like, you know, Jordan Hurston, I mean, I think people forget about how difficult things were at Tennessee at the beginning of the year, you know? like uh, Oh, that's a good point, yeah. You know, so, like, to see Jordan Hurston fall didn't surprise me, but I do like it for Seattle. It's just, again, another high upside player. Like people were talking about, okay, how are we going to find the new soup? Like the next Sue bird to lead the franchise. It's like, it's just, I just think it's such an archaic way of roster building of being like, Oh, the star leaves. So now we got to find this, the next one in the draft where it's like, no, you take the best player available and you bet on them to try to prove it, like to prove it to you that they were worth that selection. Um, so I guess, again, not surprised, but I'm, I think Seattle really got some good value there at number nine with Jordan Hurston. It's same thing with the next pick, with the Los Angeles Sparks getting Zaya Cook. We've seen Kurt Miller be so successful taking guards that have, again, that can play defense really well and turn them into some, like, look at Jasmine Thomas, like what she turned into on the perimeter after she came in with the team, I think it was like 2016. I mean, she's was just a consistent presence on the all defensive team lists. And uh, I think Zaya cook, well, I know the team needed shooting and, you know, especially after they just lost 
Stephanie Talbot this offseason because she tore her ACL after like like 10 days after signing a contract with the Sparks. Would have been nice to have had another shooter, but <laughs> I look at all of these players on South Carolina, and I think the offensive upside is so high with all of them, just given now that Aaliyah Boston isn't going to attract three people in the paint <laughs> and make it so hard with those driving lanes to be even a little bit clear. Like, man, I think that this is a chance to be one of the best picks in the draft, quite honestly. That's why I left the draft. Like, L.A. did pretty well here with that pick alone, you know. Um, do you want to transition at all to the uh, the presentation of the show? I know that was something that a lot of people have talked about. I know that you wanted to talk about. Um, or did, one, but, or do you have to, oh, yeah. I would like one last thing because we, we've talked about Dallas. We've talked about Atlanta. We've talked about uh, Los Angeles making good use of their pick, even Seattle. Uh, but Indiana now has a log man. You're going to pick Aaliyah Boston. She was the best player at that spot. There was no choice, no question about picking her. Then they got Grace Berger because an Indiana professional basketball team is obliged to pick a player from the state of Indiana. <laughs> you know, that's just a given. But I think she has a lot of promise, and there's some, a lot of things that she could do in the W and for this roster. So that begs the question then, when they filled out their roster over the offseason, that, you know, the small trade that they made uh, to get Christy Wallace as opposed to Danielle Robinson now, where does everybody fit? Does Leah start right away, or is she on the bench? Yes, she's more minute. <laughs> That's a good question. Honestly, it's a good question. Because on this roster is starting over Aaliyah Boston. So you put her right, put her right alongside Emily Angsler and just say go. I put her right alongside Melissa Smith and go, man. Those two at the high low. Get those two on the high low, and I think you're going to see some magic happen between those two, like. I think you have you have to see how it works. I want to have as much film available to me about how those two are going to operate. The number two overall pick of the draft before this one and the number one pick of this year. And you just have to see how two beasts are able to coexist. Like they like <laughs> they're gonna have to. Like I I don't honestly again that this is just my opinion. I, I think it's a no-brainer you start those two on opening night. Fair play. And I know that the, a lot of people are going to be listening. It's like, what the hell is he talking about? But no. I'm always just, I don't think it's, it's that she'll have trouble adjust, uh, adjusting the game speed. It's just that they have so many players, you know, some players on unprotected contracts, some players on training camp contracts for sure. But it's like, I, I think the question is, what's their calling card? How do they move forward? Um, who, was their, who was their option 1A and 1B offensively? I still believe in Victoria Vivians, and they gave her a good money deal for two years. I think that she's a quality offensive piece. I, I know she's had trouble with injuries and kind of just picking up her game to where it could be, but I still think Victoria Vivians is a quality player to have on your roster. And you have Kelsey Mitchell, a proven scorer, and you just brought back Erica Wheeler. So I think ideally you look at defense first for them to get transition opportunities, but I think that there's a way that Indiana can move forward and that's nebulous. And so I asked that Grace Berger question because we saw her ability to shoot. She's a great catch and she's a great catch and shoot scorer with a quick release. She is maybe like a slightly above average defender, but in terms of transition. Wait, were you good. saying Aaliyah Boston or Grace Berger before? No, I was talking about Aaliyah Boston, but I wanted to okay. get that out of the way because like the Grace Berger pick is interesting. It's intriguing. It's just how do you how do you make all of these moving parts work? And I, again, when I said Indiana past Dallas, I think it's with the caveat of you have to make a delicate situation work very well. Because the, the, I think the amazing thing that I saw last night was that that was the first time that Indiana had, all, had gotten the number one pick, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. You had all those years of Tamika catchings. So uh, to use a phrase that uh, Bill Simmons used in his book, like the Spurs, they were trapped at the top of the standings. They, you know, they never had any reason to get a top pick. And so now you come off of this time where they made a choice, they made a clear direction change, uh, you know, move catch out of the front office, and they have a lot of promise going forward. This is that tipping point where you, 
have to make sure everything goes right. And so that's why I'm wondering, it's like, how do you make room for your new blood and keep your veterans happy and get a quality team out of the whole thing? That's what I'm really intrigued by. I'm totally with you on that. Like, Lexi Hall must be sweating right now after seeing not yes. just Grace Berger get drafted, but Taylor Mike sell as well. Like Taylor Mike sell should be on this roster over Lexi Hall, just based on what we saw last year and how bonkers of a career Taylor Mike sell had in Ohio state. Just go on like her hoop stats page and look at Taylor Mike sells page. People who are listening to this because <laughs> her shooting numbers are insane. And I think I would rather have her than Lexi Hall, just based on what I saw last year, especially. And obviously, these players have to adjust to the physicality of the WNBA, the speed of the WNBA. But, man, I would be shocked if Grace Berger wasn't on this roster. And same thing with Tyler Mike Sell, just, given, uh, just based on what we saw last year for some of these other players. Like, again, and I love Destiny Henderson. I think she's going to be on this roster to, just to be... Like before I say what I'm about to say. Uh-oh. Uh, but I do the South, the South but, Carolina fans have entered the chat. <laughs> and again, she's she's a WNBA player. I mean, like I've talked about it on this show many times. I do think though that in terms of like where Indiana wants to go, it probably wants to be a little bit more ready from a competitive standpoint. Now, like I said it before too, the clock is ticking with the Leah Boston with the Indiana fever. I'm just saying it right now that like you have to prove to your ever. And this is the case for every team in the WNBA. You have to prove to your superstars that they are going to be treated as such. And that comes with winning. And that comes with resources. Indiana from what I, I believe if I, I believe they're the, the team that just bought, like that just got a new practice facility. Like they're, they're investing in their team. And Aaliyah Boston, honestly, is coming into a pretty solid roster for like what the potential of it could be. I still think you need to have players that are ready to be in the WNBA right now, though, in order to be able to prove that. And again, I'm just I'm the one thing that I'm just kind of curious about, Chris, and we look at the next CBA that's coming, what, in two years, is how core designations are going to work mm-hmm. and how if those rules are going to be altered at all. And if Aaliyah Boston is someone that won't have to be subjected to that, and the other reason I bring up the core years, if Kelsey Mitchell, who hasn't been core, I believe, doesn't have to be subjected to that. It's like, okay, you got to kind of start. You can't be at the bottom of the totem pole for another two years, is all I'm going to say. And that's why like, I think Destiny Anderson's a really solid player. If she were available... On the waiver wire, I'd be the first GM to pick her up just because I think that she brings so much potential as someone like initiating early offense, something that Grace Berger, by the way, Indiana fans, I know you're already familiar with her because you watched her play in the same arena, but Grace Berger does does a little bit of everything so well, and I think it's going to be such a great rotation player in the WNBA for years to come. Like, I just think you got to be... There needs to be some win now talent on this Indiana roster to a certain extent because shit's not going to fly, man, if you're losing for the next couple of years and you have the talent to make it work, you know. And again, they have Christy Sides coming in too, so we'll see how it all works out. But really good point. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. Well, you know, before we do move into the next part of our show, I think we've talked about a lot that's going to affect the odds for the next season's champions, playoff contenders, and even, you know, rookies of the year, most valuable player, and just day-to-day things. So if any of you out there are thinking about which of these draft picks you want to keep an eye on in your daily uh, sports betting life, I would advise using BetStamp to keep the best track of those odds, those picks, you know, who's going to make you the most money on those daily parlays and whatnot. So check out BetStamp.app in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, and in the Android Store. They track odds and lines from the major North American sports books and find the best possible value for you with all of them. 
So when the time comes around in just over a month, Jesus, <laughs> just over a month when the W play starts, then you'll be able to know whether you should pick Grace Berger to make two plus threes per game plus 10 <laughs> points or whatnot. Is Aaliyah Boston going to get a double-double tonight? All of those things will be at your fingertips with Betstamp. Proud sponsor of this show. And when you sign up for the Betstamp app, because I know you will after this sparkling read, Use the promo code the Skyhook Pod when you do. Again, that's the Skyhook Pod. James, one thing we're not going to bet on is uh, the presentation of the ESPN draft being any uh, lower grade than it was last night. I'll say that. I think I'll be judicious. But that got way more press than it should be. It was like a referee that blows their whistle every single moment they possibly can. It from the flowers on the set to the questions that were asked, to the presentation of the pre-draft walkthrough, even just you could tell how sparse Spring Studios was, and it didn't seem hasty. I think that was the problem. It seemed like a coordinated effort that wasn't good enough. Man, putting me in a position here, man. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, that and one thing that also kind of stood out to me is like, Ryan Rucco's mic was too hot. It was like, there was a lot of feedback that I felt coming through my computer screen, say, or like my computer speakers, I should say. I had other people, I saw people, other people talking about it as well. It's just, this shit matters, man. Like the presentation matters so much. And we've been talking about it for years from even a camera standpoint when for the on-court product, you know? Men's sports, they have these close in, they have like five cameras working and you can get all these different angles. And then we'll, we've seen the WNBA and women's basketball in general be like high up, looking down, you know, like presentation matters. This is something that people are going to talk about. And I know a lot of people ripped on Holly Rowe last night. And I don't know if it's necessarily her fault or if the format is just so bonkers that it's just, it's just so unorganic that it's just not going to work and they have to alter it. And I, the, I in terms of the questions, I mean, look, the, the, these are kids. I'll, I, I, they're young adults. I mean, like they were talking about people that are like 22 years old. I know that like they're over 18, but like th that's, it's a moment for them. It's a, the biggest moment of their lives and it's so hard because if you operate in this gray area as being a TV personality and a reporter and you try to blend it in of like trying to ask the tough questions while also kind of cheering on the people that are there, it's just going to come out and be so unorganic and it's just going to leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And the thing that stood out to me yesterday, Chris, and I'll give it back to you, throw it back to you in a sec, it's just... The question that Holly asked about Debris Beal, whether they're going to family to family at the tables there, of just being like, we have Bria Beal here, and we didn't see a ton of three-point shooting from her at South Carolina, but hey, maybe we'll see that more at the next level. Like, it actually, it seemed, I think it was even worse than that. And I think again, she, she like straight up said, like, are you, you know, you're going to score, right? You're going to see you score, and then just kind of like left that hanging out there. Yeah. In front of your family? I mean, Just... the reaction from people, man. Like, you saw Shakira Austin, and I think it was Ryan Howard talking about, like, okay, you know, we got to bring an Andrea Carter in to make this. It's, it's like, I don't think there's a... <laughs> Which, by the way, I would be all for having Andrea Carter get more opportunities because she's just changed the standard for commentators in women's basketball. But that is not bringing in someone else isn't going to save that terrible format. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think the issue is that, again, this is a coordinated effort and they've made, they've taken pains to improve um, in-game broadcasts. Um, the anchor desk has gotten a lot better over the years. And for college, we've seen it. It's gotten a lot better as well. But when we have the, we have just the one reporter, we just have Holly. And I think what is going on right now is that Holly is given this free license to operate within that sphere as she, as she will. It's just like, hey, you take it, we trust you. And it's not that Holly is terrible, 
she's just not that great. And I think it's you're giving this one person all of, it's almost like I compare it to Adam Schefter in my head a lot because <laughs> we've seen the NFL and I know we're switching over to men's sports. I get it, but this is an apt comparison. Adam Schefter has basically gotten free license to be the NFL insider. There's more NFL insiders, but he's the go-to guy on ESPN especially. And we saw him put his foot in his mouth talking about it was a, uh, there was a player last year, and this just came up, and I cannot remember exactly who it was, but he said something that was way out of pocket, and everybody called on him. Everybody called him for it. And he like, didn't back down for a day or two and then finally issued a, a half-hearted apology. And I think we're, I, I wish I could remember the player's name because yeah. it, was, it was a very good story in terms of why you don't give all of the, all of the shine and press to one person. ESPN has put us far past the point where the journalists are the stars. That was what made ESPN the network. Yeah. They, made their ta- they made their on-air talent the stars, and that was... Stephen A. Smith, or sorry, that was um, Stuart Scott. That was Kenny Mayne. That was Linda Cohn. Is it background noise? No. The one, the one thing. I'll, you know what? I'll let you. I'll let you finish your point. But I think there's something that we got to correct in that because okay. TV personalities versus journalists are different thing, and that's what we're dealing with right now in the W. But go no, ahead. that no, that you're well. It's like they made their on-air personalities like the focus as much as the athletes were. Yeah. Stuart Scott, Linda Cohn. Um, Kenny Mayne, Dan Patrick, all of those guys. And it's continued as we've moved forward. But I think we've gotten into this trouble spot with, with Holly where she is the sideline reporter. She is the, you know, the on-camera offset reporter. And, you know, maybe it's just that Holly is, is aesthetically charismatic and not so charismatic when it comes to asking questions and having a conversation i think that people i know people like her and she's worked hard to get where she is but it just seems like if you broaden the people you're using it doesn't hurt her it doesn't hurt her her shine and her um reach but you get away from the possibility of what you got last night which were these just awkward 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 questions and segments I also do want to say that ESPN, this is not anything out of the ordinary. The NFL draft does this. They bring up people's dead relatives way too often. They talk Ugh. about their worst possible moments in the best times of their lives. And it really puts a downer on things. And they're looking for this pathos and this story of coming up from, from tragedy or from humble beginnings. And not every athlete's story has to start that way. Some Talk about the really good things that they've done. Did they go on a skydiving trip? Is there are their parents firefighters who met at a fire or something like that? Give me that. That's what I want. That's what we saw too much of last night. And I think that look, I I did think she did that well to be transparent with the the draft last night. And but to me, I think you bring up a bigger issue here, man, which is that when it comes to women's sports coverage. We want to have the women's sports reporter. And then we look on the men's side. We have the baseball reporter, the basketball reporter, the soccer reporter. Like we give this women's sports reporter, again, stretch these people so thin that at some point they're going to break and all, and just at times just not going to be able to live up to, or like maybe just not perform in the way that they need to perform in these things. And that to me is where this is at. We just need, I, and I, I think that it has really confused the audience in this space, Chris. I think it has really confused the audience in this space where people don't know the difference between even a sports writer and a sports reporter because journalism and writing about sports are actually, while they're under the same umbrella, they are not the same job. Mm. Doing journalism, I mean, there there's actually like strict rules that we have to follow. And people don't understand, like, you can't take merch from a team and promote it on your social media. You can't be friends with the people that you report on, man. You can, I have so much respect for the people that I report on. I try so hard 
to have healthy relationships with them. But it kills me sometimes because I do see people that refer to themselves as journalists and then having personal relationships. It is the reason that we can't be friends with the people we report on is to protect them and to protect us as journalists because there's going to be times where we have to write about something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Or in, I think about if we didn't have journalism, um, which again, I don't think people value as much anymore. With this whole thing that happened with Robert Sarber, who was the Phoenix Mercury and Phoenix Suns owner, if we didn't have someone like Baxter Holmes who knew how to, you know, collect over like 60 people to talk to and get out all those details. It's like, my God, we need to just have more positions out there. One for the audience's sake, whose media literacy, and I'm not talking specifically about the WMB audience right now. I'm just talking about generally right now. Media literacy is at an all-time low. People don't know the difference between, like, there's the media and then there's all these other subsections of media that people just, there's all these people operate in these gray areas to take advantage and get themselves up to the top. And quite honestly, have done so well since 2016 with that. Um, but discussion for another day. In women's sports, we just need more reporters in the field. We need more TV personalities too, so that like you can maximize the talents of everybody that's on your staff. And maybe I missed it yesterday, but yeah, like Andrea Carter is the best X's and O's person out there right now. She should be on the broadcast, you know? And again, I don't know how how it all works. I know, I mean, listen to anyone who worked at ESPN or has worked at ESPN will tell you all about the politics and how it all how all that works and everything. But to me, I think we are doing ourselves as consumers and media a huge disservice if we're pinning all this on Holly Rowe, even as again disastrous as it was yesterday. You're losing sight of what the problem is here. It's not Holly. It is the people. It is the newsrooms that need more positions and need more funding on the women's sports side and have it just be sort of equitable, at least in the short term, as it is on the men's side. Yeah, no, you're right. Holly's a symptom. She's not the out-and-out cause. And I know that I, I focused a lot on her, but I said it's like they give, the network gives people this platform. And I think what ESPN has done is just to give it to her. They said, they basically said, all right, Holly's our person. She can go do it. And that's because people are not paying enough attention as much as, again, as much as they've curated a good desk. I think the desk and the broadcasters are good. They can still improve, especially on the broadcaster side. You, can, you don't always have to just go to Ryan and Rebecca for the big time games, but they have curated a very good desk. They put Monica McNutt and LaChina Robinson in the spots they needed to be in. They got Terrica Foster Brasby in there. Fantastic, fantastic hires. And people see that and they not only say, oh, I can be an athlete. They say, I can do this job, which is what some of the people that we either have talked about or haven't talked about or just are thinking about in this space have done. They have made it so that black women, women of color can find a space to operate in this sphere. But you're right, and I don't want to step on it anymore because you said it as well as you could say it. There needs to be more journalists so that you can actually delineate that line between journalists and influencers, point blank, period. The problem is that not just because of the product, people don't think it's as important as it is. I, I, is, I don't see a way back from that with the way that information is you know bubbled you put into your bubble and everything is so siloed not only in the way you're getting your information just in the physical spaces that you're moving a lot of people stay in the same what was the statistic somebody told me it's like after a certain point in your life you operate within like this one and a half square mile radius for most of the time that you are you are out and about and that's very troubling because not only do you just get information from maybe one or two sources, but then you're also interacting with a very homogenous set of people. Yes. That's a, that's a much wider discussion. Uh, but all that is to say that ESPN needs to for, be willing to further, and not just ESPN, 
CBS Sports, and the local networks that are producing a majority of the WNBA games that you see need to put more resources into creating a much better product. At a certain point in time, I I was going to say I want to see the WNBA draft look like the NFL draft, but I don't because I think the <laughs> NFL draft is way too overhyped. Yeah. Uh, but I want to see it get more than 10 minutes of pre-show coverage and have a much better set than those flowers they put in. It was so funny to me how so many people at the bar were just like, those, what are these flowers? Yeah. Like, what are these flowers <laughs> on the front of the set? It just looked like somebody put the put these bouquets together with no prior knowledge. And that would probably have been me because I have no idea how to put a, a set of flowers together. So at the very least, that's something that they can take for the next year is get a better set designer. Well, fuck you, man. I was the one that put those flowers together. You did that. Fuck you. Fuck you. Get better. You, get better. Man, you're just slamming my business out here. Get better. Go, flowers, back Mariano's, <laughs> go back to Mariano's. Go back to the Mariano's. That side of the store and get better at putting those those designs together. I grow you know, those flowers. Those are you know what they need, grown, Chris. They need the supermarket people who design those um, the twelve packs of pop when something's coming around and make them look like <laughs> shapes and designs and shit like that. That's what they should have gotten to design the <laughs> set yesterday. Those cats are incredible. Well, hopefully, or maybe not so hopefully. Um, ESPN's listening to this podcast and uh we'll take your suggestions, man. No to the flowers, says Christopher Pennant. No <laughs> to the flowers. Give me some ferns, you know, give me some lilies. Mix it up. <laughs> Mix it up. Chris, we made it this long without even talking about the Chicago sky, the the primary topic of <laughs> this podcast. Um, so let's just you know what? Let's bring it back to the players, because those are the people. I want to give the most attention to, I know you do as well. So just as a quick refresher, the sky only had their second, third round picks in last night's draft. They had owned the number five overall pick, but that was packaged as a part of a four team trade that sent Marina Mabry to Chicago. So last night, the Chicago sky drafted Kayana trailer out of Virginia tech with the 23rd overall pick and Ksenia Malashka out of middle Tennessee with the 35th pick in the draft as well. So I actually got a chance to talk with Malashka this morning, actually, after the draft, same thing with her coach. And they're still trying to figure out whether she's going to come over and play in the, oh, I shouldn't say come over. She's in middle, she's in Tennessee right now, but she's trying to decide whether she's going to go back to Europe and potentially sit out the, the, 2023 WNBA season. So I guess the reason that I like I want to bring up these two players outside of again, they're being with the Chicago Sky. One person asked us on Twitter about the chances of either pick landing in the sky, like landing on the sky's roster for this upcoming WNBA season. And I guess I'm curious, Chris, just on your end, what do you think the sky's primary need right now with and let me go back even a step further. James Wade said to like back in February, he told me went for this article I wrote for the next, just about how you can kind of see the 10 players that are already set on this roster. And they only have room for one more player on that roster, just based on how the the cap is shaping out. What would you say like the number one need is for this guy going into training camp? And what would you want them to see? Fill like what vacants or what need do you think they need to fill ahead of the 2023 season? It's funny because wing depth is there uh, with the addition of Courtney Williams and Marina Mabry. So I I don't think that that's an issue. Um, You have Izzy Harrison and Elizabeth Williams and a Stu Fall, So you have quality, uh, fairly quality front court. And then, you know, Alana Smith and Alana Smith's in in for an unprotected deal, but she's there for training camp as well. And you still have Lee Yuru. Uh, you know, if she if she gets the chance to come back over. So I think it's, again, it's just still finding that identity. That's, it's not really a roster fit for me. That's why they, they drafted as they did, which James Wade, you know, all but told us about a month ago that they weren't, you know, they traded those picks and they weren't going to look for anybody, I think, primary, one of the big names that we saw uh, coming into the draft. I would have liked Bria Beal just because 
I can never have enough perimeter defense. If you have good perimeter defense, then you don't even have to worry about attempts at the rim as much, which mm -hmm. is the most high percentage shots you're going to get is within that two to three, two to four foot mark from the rim. And then you don't have to worry about if you don't have a either an, if you don't have a, a good athletic front court or, or whatever. So I think Bria Beal would have been good for that. But I just I want to see them hammer out and really find an identity for how they're going to operate in the half court and how they're going to slow teams down. So I, I think that's the only thing that I would have said if you have a chance to take Bria Beal, see what she can do. But otherwise, I think the most pressing need for this guy is more so their season at large with the people that you're going to have to talk to in free agency after this season. So in terms of the identity aspect, I actually think Kayana Trailer does fit the mold of someone who they were trying to add like that type of personality and that playing style is someone that they were trying to add to this roster this offseason. Like we saw someone, you know, the toughness of Courtney Williams coming in. Same thing with Isabel Harrison. Like just players that have chips on their shoulder, honestly. And I watched a decent amount of Virginia Tech this past season, just especially in the second half of the year when they started to really get rolling and, you know, just try to keep an eye on any player that's going to potentially be coming in. and thought that was going to be Elizabeth Kitley, but she oh. decided to return for a fifth year. Kehan Trailer is someone that, man, she has that type of ferocity that Kalia Copper has driving to the rim. Like, obviously, look, cause in a league of her own when it comes to that, but just that first step of just getting to the basket, attacking, and having an ability to also hit from beyond the arc, I do think, makes her an intriguing option heading into training camp. And I think I think it was Eric Nubchak who said he wishes the sky would add another ball handler to the roster on opening night. Like, have someone available. And honestly, I kind of think I would maybe go in a different direction than that, potentially. Okay. Like, I do think that having a bigger body, like, I don't know if Lee Yaru is necessarily the player that is going to be on this roster if they want to play fast. I don't think she necessarily fits the mold of someone that can really do that. But at the same time, I guess I could kind of get, I would get the thinking of like, okay, we have another player to develop in Kayana trailer who was a part of a winning team showed that she can play with other really solid players on the roster. I know there were some people that were kind of hating on what the sky did last night, but in terms of like what you can make out of having a second round pick and a third round pick. I thought this was actually not the worst pick at all. And I think if, if she were to make the roster that I think people would actually st like what she could potentially bring to a w WNBA roster. Again, I think then you have to kind of think about, is she worth having on the roster over someone like Annalie Maley? Um, is she worth having, I was to say a veteran in general who has played in the WNBA has dealt with the physicality of it. And, James Wade said he has no interest in losing. Uh, that's the censored version of that. Um, <laughs> um, so if that's the case, do you really want to spend time with the rookie developing them? If your mind is on the short term, I don't know. I think that's kind of a tough question to answer that we'll have a better understanding of what it's going to look like in a couple of weeks. But it's so hard because I do think there is something to be said with a team that isn't a clear-cut contender to have at least one prospect on the roster where you can kind of develop them a little bit more. But what do you think of that? I think you should be able to develop young talent. I think that's just the, the qualities that a well-rounded head coach should have, the well-rounded coaching staff should have, even if you're not the person who's the hands-on with them. You've got to be able to bring in young players and turn them into stars if they have the talent, even if they don't have the talent. We've seen that with a lot of, a lot of players who come in the league who, like Erica Wheeler, kind of made themselves, but they had a good environment to do it in. And that's something that I think we're seeing in Atlanta where they, they've gotten these younger players and they're turning them into quality contributors or stars. You know, Ryan Howard, we didn't necessarily think that she was going to be as good as she was last year, but 
you know, it came in one, two games and people were talking about her as a possible MVP for that season. But I think the fact that she is even mentioned in that sense that she could be an MVP candidate for years to come is a testament not only to her and her work ethic and her talent, but to what Atlanta's coaching staff has been able to put together alongside her in the environment that they've, that they've created for her and the rest of the team. You know, they made the they made the quality acquisitions, the conscious acquisitions of getting Cheyenne Parker in there so she had somebody to learn from and play alongside. I think that that's very important. So roster construction is one thing, but you have to be able to and be willing to, in some cases, just be patient. You know, you have, you have a superstar. I understand you have to have a win-now mentality while you have the chance, while the league is still fairly small in terms of teams. There just has to be an ability. This, some of this is, is biased for me. I love player development. I love personal development. That's just something that I treasure and value as a person. But I think you absolutely have to be able to do that in some point, some, some ways in time. And I want to see the sky be able to draft that player and take them to that level. I think that's why so many people have clamored for Ruthie and Dana to see more court time because they've seen the potential uh, but they've just seen it in like wisps and poofs, and they just, you know, they they want more something more solid and tangible. Yeah, man. I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said with that, and there's just going to be the players that are able to stick out a little bit more, like a Dana Evans, who we've seen flashes of quite a bit now, and who I think is going to have kind of put it all together for this upcoming season, especially. You just got to kind of have those moments where you show that you can be a professional at this level. And that's why for second, third round picks, players that go undrafted, fuck some of you players that go undrafted and then come back to the WNBA training camp four or five years later. Like you got to be from the first time the ball touches your hands, got to be ready and prove yourself in that first day at camp to show why you belong there. And I think both of these players are going to have a tough time with that initially, just given how competitive it's going to be, how this is a, a kind of a veteran roster, even though like there's like players that are younger and it's not the same team like last year, obviously that has like been through all that it's had all that playoff experience, but it is a team that has multiple WNBA players that are names that people know and have been around for a decent amount. So again, also I, I just want to clarify too, if I made it seem like it, I'm, absolutely no idea if Ksenia is actually going to go overseas like we I don't know if the sky are going to suspend their contract I just that mm-hmm. James Wade and her agent are just having talks about it so and it wouldn't surprise me I think that probably would make sense for her WNBA career she wanted to stay with the sky they end up just suspending that contract and she goes back and plays with the national team like she's done the lower levels before so Chris we've been talking yammering for a while now any final thoughts so we uh as we wrap up this show and not make this the hardest listed possible for our listeners <laughs> no uh, i think i think the most important thing is that we want these players to succeed as much as we talk about the chances that they have in the league um pick apart facets of their game the best people covering this league want these players to succeed that's why over anything else we talk about expansion equitable pay the expansion of charter flights that we saw that we you know it's not the time to talk about it but yeah more charter flights better hotel rooms. five games by the way that's four uh or five instances you know where they're going to be doing that just pointing that true yeah you know like expanded opportunities for maternity leave and just the fact that uh, I, I don't know if it was specifically Asia Wilson, but I, I, I think it might have been um, Erica McCall said that back in the day they were dressed like receptionists in there. And now that even the dress code has loosened and given players more freedom to individually express themselves and lean into something that I am not as big on talking about fits and outfits. I, I say that just because I, I pretty much don't care what I get. I get I started using Stitch Fix just mm. so that I could have some things to wear because I don't Holes feel like cash, bro. 
I don't feel like picking out clothes that much anymore, you know? So shout out to all the players that can and do. Um, I think that that's what we really want. And the players drive the league, so we want to see the the last pick of the third round make a career for themselves. Not just because it's a good story, but because they have the chance to achieve their dreams, start and feed and raise a family and do all of these things that, you know, we should all have the chance to do. You know, they it's work for them, but they get to work in an atmosphere that a lot of us would really love to have by playing a game. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they get the opportunity to play this game because of their genetics and because of their work and the places that they have been and originated from, we can't take that away. So while you're wondering exactly what this player can do for your arbitrary team, think about the fact that they are a person first and keep that in mind. That is the last that I have. Yeah, that's why I try to keep it light on draft night when it comes to like critiquing players because it's come on like a team made a decision that person's living out their dream and that should just be the end of it until tomorrow morning let's just say you know like <laughs> at least you gotta like come on let let people enjoy to have their moment chris i'm so glad that we got a chance to do this and appreciate all of you for listening to this edition of the skyhook podcast if you want to reach out to us you can always do so by emailing our mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, you can always do so by checking out our link tree, which is in the episode description, along with our Venmo. And I believe the promo code for the I'm acting like I don't fucking post the episode. You can find the promo code for Pet Stamp in <laughs> episode description as well. So appreciate you all tuning in. And if you could take a second to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, that would help us out. But really, thanks for listening to this edition of the show. And until next time.